Revelation chapter 4, chapter 5. This is not where we're going to be, but just, just a beautiful image. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was as myriads of myriads, thousands upon thousands, saying and proclaiming with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them are heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Let's pray. Father, just this beautiful picture of worship in heaven. No piano, no organ, no band, no lights. Nothing that we see in the world today as we enhance and add to our worship experience. It is simply the glory of King Jesus. Seated on his throne, the name of power, the one who died for us, exalted, sitting high. And to him be all glory and honor and dominion and power forever. Lord, that the presence of Jesus and the proclamation of his power alone cause all of the celestial body, all that is right there in the throne room to fall on their faces and bow down. And yet, too often we don't even pause to think about the one that we're actually worshiping. God, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. Help us to see your hand. Help us to see your beauty. Help us to see your word. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So flip from Revelation where I just read to Genesis. We've got two more weeks in the book of Genesis. As we wrap up this look at God's plan to redeem us that he established before the foundation of the world. And as we've watched the different characters appear on stage, the Abrahams, the Isaacs, as we've watched the, the, the Tamars and the Hagars, as we've watched the Noahs and the Seths and the Adams, and even most recently, Joseph, we've watched one continuous scarlet thread hold all things together, and that is the thread of redemption of the one who God said before the foundation of the world would be the Savior. And today as we look, we're looking specifically at Genesis chapter 48 and 49 with the blessing that Jacob pronounces over his sons, as Israel pronounces over his sons. Next week we'll wrap up with, with Genesis and then we're going to launch into 1 John. 1 John will carry us until about the middle of December. The middle of December will take a couple of weeks. Uh, Darius will be sharing with you one Sunday in December and um, I haven't told him that yet, but it's on my calendar, so I think he's seen that. Um, but uh, the, the staff gets my sermon calendars, and I've, got them, I've already emailed them all the way through December of next year. So Darius has already seen where his name falls on the list a couple extra times. Uh, so uh, so if, if, I'll have to make sure he remembers, but he'll share with you one Sunday in December. And then in January, we're going to kick off um, a, a, almost a full year walk through the book of Revelation. Um, and so we're going to hit a couple of John writings, 1 John and Revelation, back to back. Um, and here's why. We've spent all this time since October of last year um, watching what God did from the beginning. And it seems reasonable. And as I've prayed over, and I've had a couple people actually ask me as I was, I was praying over and, 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 and saying, okay, here's something you've got to know about me. I am not the greatest planner in the world. If you went to Baltimore with me this year, you saw that. I'm not the greatest planner in the world. Um, 
But sometimes when it comes, when it comes to sermons, I'll, I'll plan that. Um, and so I started Genesis, we started preaching through Genesis in, on September 30th of last year. And by November, I was already praying about where I was going to go next, knowing that I had until the end of July. Um, but with a couple other things, it you know, extends into August. I'd already started praying about where I was going to go next. And after the first year, I had two or three people just saying something about Revelation. And that's something that God had already been stirring in my heart, something to do. So I went ahead and sat down and said, you know what, Lord, I think this is where you're going to be taking us next. Um, but I didn't want to start Revelation in the fall. I want it because Genesis is big and Revelation is big. Can I just be real with you? I needed a break. <laughs> so um, so I, I started looking at the weeks that we had and, and praying over. And I had two or a couple of books that, uh, that I was you know, kind of going back and forth between. So I started talking over with staff and said, okay, I, I'm looking at James and I'm looking at First John. And um, our staff let me know that uh, uh, Dan Moran had just preached through James here during the transition time. And right before Dan, uh, Pastor Justin had just preached through James uh, right before he left. So I was like, you know, uh, let, let's not go three for three with that one just yet. Maybe we'll come back and revisit a little bit later. So um, as we continue to pray, First uh, John is, 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 is where we'll go. But I am convinced, and, and I, I want you to hear me say this clearly now. I know we've got uh, five months until we're going to get to Revelation. I, I am not one of these, the sky is falling, the world's coming to an end tomorrow. You know, you saw that one storm that happened last week. That means Jesus is coming back tomorrow at 1244. I, I'm not one of those guys. I do not know how to properly and accurately interpret absolutely everything in the book of Revelation. And you should be worried if someone tells you they do. God has given us some clear things that are going to take place. And he's also given us some clear mystery. And he does that so that we will walk by faith and not by sight. Because we have to look to him, not to the things in the world for where we're going. But I am convinced that it is appropriate, proper, and necessary for the 21st century church to have a working understanding of everything in the Word of God, including those difficult prophecy passages that might leave us scratching our head. But if we can understand, we can help someone else understand what is true. Because there's going to be someone knock on your door probably this week, and they're going to take you right to the book of Revelation and show you something false. So we've got to know what is true. And so we'll be launching that here in just, uh, in just a, a few months. Also, I just want to take a moment while I'm talking about some planning things, some things that are coming up for midweek. If you've not been part of our midweek ministries, I want you to know that you, you've been missing out on some opportunities to build relationships, to grow with one another, uh, and to really just grow in your faith. Starting in September, we're going to be launching um, uh, a thing church-wide, and it's going to focus midweek uh, for some reinforcement, but you're going to hear about it on Sunday morning, and it's going to be kind of come some of the fiber of our church. It's called Who's Your One? It's an opportunity to focus on one person that we can engage with the gospel. And we're going to have prayer guides and opportunities to, to reinforce you and equip you not to go and, and you know, give this long, detailed evangelistic spiel to somebody, but somebody that you know that say, you know, I know that person is not involved in church. That person doesn't know Christ. And I'm just going to pray for them and pray that God would give me opportunities. And I'm going to pray and pray and until it happens. And that be your one. And if it takes you six months, if it takes you six years, great. You're praying for them and you're seeking to reach them. And then we'll find another one and another one. After that, we are going to spend the rest of the fall. And, 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 I, and I'm putting this out there for everyone. And, I, and, and I'm doing this because I don't want anyone to say, oh, that doesn't involve me. I, I'm, you know, I'm not involved there. That's not a ministry I help out with. I've got my schedule mixed up. I've got my schedule mixed up. I almost told you we're going to do something that we're not going to do. Uh, we're going to do a, a book called Advocates by Dehati Lewis right after that. After Christmas, after, in the first of the year, in January or midweek, we're going to be looking at um, so a free resource that the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention has put together. A couple of heavy hitters coming at you in January between Revelation and this. Um, becoming a, ch a church that cares for the abused. Um, 
it is no secret that Southern Baptists, we as Southern Baptists, have a massive black eye and scar right now in terms of how we as a convention and churches that affiliate with us, not our church, but churches that we affiliate with have handled sexual abuse. And so what we're seeking to do is equip all of our people, whether you work with children, whether you work with youth, whether you're just part of our Sunday morning worship service, to be able to help those that are going through something that might come forward. Because one of the greatest, one of the greatest threats to those that have been abused is not necessarily just the abuser, but the people that are, should be in a position to help that don't, that can't, or that won't. And so we're going to position ourselves and our community to have an active response to how we address those that have been abused. So those are some things that are coming up in the future. Um, And while we're talking about the future, let's talk about Jacob. He was in the past, but what we find in Genesis chapter 47 and 40, or excuse me, 48 and 49 today is how Jacob is used by God to show what the future would be for his children. It says in chapter 48, verse 1. It came about after these things that Joseph was told, behold, your father is sick. Now keep in mind, Jacob, 130 years old, moves to Egypt. And now he is about 100 in his mid-140s. I mean, some of you are are getting closer to that mark. So hold on, you might get there. Uh, Mid-140s, it's... it's, it's, it's a long way away. Um, but now he's, he's, he's older, he's sick, he's been reunited with Joseph, his son that he thought was dead, but found out later that his other sons had just sold him to be a slave in Egypt. But now Joseph is over all of the house of Pharaoh, all of the house of Egypt. Everything is under Joseph's control except for Pharaoh himself. That's a pretty good position to be in. And it says here that after all these things, after Jacob's there, the family's moved, he says that Joseph was told, your father is sick. So Joseph took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. And what is told to Jacob, behold, your son Joseph has come to you. Israel collected his strength and sat up in the bed. And Israel says to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said, behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous and I will make you a company of peoples. And I will give you this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting possession. Now, your two sons that were born to you in the land of Egypt, they, uh, before I came to Egypt, they are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. But your offering that have been born after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the names of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan on the journey. When, we, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Israel saw Joseph's two sons. He said, who are these? And Joseph said to him, these are my sons whom God has given me here. And Israel said to him, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. And the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see clearly. So Joseph brought them close to him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel says to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, but behold, God has let me see your children as well. I mean, think about that for just a moment. I didn't think I was ever going to see you, my son, alive. But here I get to see your kids. Those of you that are grandparents, you can probably resonate with that, that moment there. Joseph took them from their knees and bowed with his face to the ground. And Ju- Joseph took both them, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand and brought them close. But Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the hand of Ephraim, who was the younger, in his left hand on Manasseh, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. He blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all this day to my life, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads that my name may live on in them and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. May they grow into a multitude into the midst of the earth. And Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head and displeased him. He grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's hand to put ice on Manasseh's head. But Joseph said to, and Joseph said, said to his father, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Please place your right hand on his head. But Israel refused, saying, I know, my son, I know. He will also become a people, and he will also be great. 
However, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall be a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, pronounce blessings, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. And Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die. But God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. I will give you one portion more than your brothers, which I took from the land of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. We have in this passage of scripture what seems to be the musings of an old man who is about to die. It seems to be that there is... Uh, there is some culmination. It's just kind of parting words. Chapter 49, he goes on tribe by tribe and pronounces some sort of blessing or makes a pronouncement over each one of his 12 sons. And it appears on the surface that what we have recorded here in Scripture for all time are just the last will and testament. But if we look at that through the lens of a last will and testament, we miss the theological significance of what Jacob or Israel has just said to Joseph and what he will be saying in the next few verses to the other 11 sons. Here we find Israel blessing the sons of Joseph and Joseph only. Keep in mind, Joseph was the favored son. He was the one to whom the nice robe was given. He was the one uh, uh, that, that, was, that was grieved. He was the son of Rachel, the loved wife. I mean, there were a lot of things going in, Jacob, in, in Joseph's favor until he was no more in the family, or so Israel thought. But now that everything has come together, Israel brings J Jacob to, excuse me, Israel brings Joseph to him. Joseph brings his two sons with him and he makes the pronouncement, God appeared to me. He came and said, I will bless your family. Do not be afraid to go to Egypt. I'm going to bless your family. And in this beautiful, intimate moment, we find Jacob, Israel, speaking hope and faith for the future. The, the blessing was not just, you know, I'm going to put my hand on these, these two grandsons and, and give them just this nice word as I depart. It is full of the faith that God was going to continue to, to support this family in a way that was unlike others. Notice with me what he says there. He says, God before whom my fathers Abraham, verse 15, walked before Isaac and Abraham walked. The God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless these lads. See, he's, he's bringing in the covenant that God had pronounced and passed on to him when he wrestled with the Lord. Now, you remember the covenant was made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. It was reiterated to Isaac, not to Ishmael. Again, we have the younger that is taking the blessing. And then with Isaac's two boys, Esau and Jacob, Jacob might have been the swindler that, that stole the birthright and the blessing from his brother Esau, but it was to Jacob that God said, I am going to change your name to Israel, the one who strives with God, because I, through you, will bless the earth. And notice what Israel does. Verse 16. Bless the lads and my, may my name live on in them and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. When Jacob makes this pronouncement, it appears on the surface as though he was just saying, may they have a good name. And we can look at that through our just normal lens of when you probate a will and, and you're talking, well, he wanted this, this, this child to have this part of his estate and this grandchild to be able to get this for college and all of these things that we might want to map out. But notice that takes the covenant that God made. God does not operate in a vacuum. God operates through the covenants, through the promises that he makes. And so when Israel blesses the sons of Joseph, he is pronouncing the words of the covenant of God over them in such a way that he places them directly under the authority and care of the God who has rescued him. This, this, this God, look, look, verse 15, it's right there. The God who, before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd 
all my life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. No, he doesn't know the 23rd Psalm. It hadn't been written yet. He's got another thousand years to go before we get the, the 23rd Psalm. But he's already speaking of that shepherding aspect of God who pulls his sheep back in. I mean, Jacob wanted to wander. He was the swindler, but God brought him in and God cradled him and God worked with him. And God said, I am placing my covenant upon you. So now, my grandsons, may you walk in that covenant. What a legacy. What a legacy that this man is leaving behind. Well, Joseph notices that the hands get crossed, right? So he's like, hey, here's, here's your sons. I'm putting the, the older one over here so you can get the right hand, the right hand a blessing. And then the younger one, so you get the left hand, you get a blessing, but it's not as good as the right hand. But man, Jacob, crisscross, right? Some of you are thinking like cha-cha slide, right? Crisscross, hands on your knees, right? That's not what he's doing, but, but here he goes. <laughs> Sorry, the things that just come to my mind and just exit. He said, no, no, no. I may be old, I may be blind, but I know what I'm doing, son. I was the younger, and I had the hand of God on me. My father was the younger. He had the hand of God on him. In spite of our failures, in, in spite of all the missteps, in spite of the willful deception... Somehow, someway, God in his grace, God in his mercy still put his hand on us. Isn't that true of you? I know it's true of me. In more ways than I would like to admit. So I did it on purpose. I'm blessing and he's going to become a great nation. That's great. But his brother will become even greater. And then he says, I'm going to give you, Joseph, one portion of the land that that is ours. The promise. And think about this. He has left the promised land. He has come to Egypt, but he is speaking hope. He says, in blessing your sons, it goes back to what God has promised, that this land is ours, the land of the Amorite, where you are going and where one day you will return these people, whenever that is, that that is ours. And I'm going to give your sons each a share of the land. Isn't that awesome? That right there, through it all, His blessing conveys hope and a future for what God is doing. Kind of makes you think of Jeremiah 29, 11, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, not for calamity or disaster, but plans for a hope and a future. Now, I'm not going to spend time breaking down why that might not be, verse might not mean everything you think it means, and you can't just make it your life verse, and there you go. I'm not going to do that because there is a place for it. But I, I want you to keep in mind that that hope and that future was bound up in Israel being in a time of exile. And the context of Jeremiah 29, 11 is plant yourself in this ungodly city where you are right now, build relationships, prosper the city because in prospering the city, you yourself will prosper because I'm gonna be sending you back, but you need to be not focused on that. You need to be focused on living for me where you are now. That's the hope and the plans. And so Jacob is saying the exact same things. You're here in Egypt, but we're going back there. That's our hope, that's our future, but I'm blessing you now for where we are to get there. And then he goes through and pronounces a blessing on the tribes, or maybe we can think of it this way, that Israel establishes the tribal roles within the covenant. He establishes the tribal roles within the covenant. I'm I'm gonna read these, then we'll kind of... Make a synopsis of each of them. And then we're going to apply it. Jacob summoned all of his sons and said, Assemble yourselves that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to your father Israel. Reuben, you are my firstborn. You are my might and my strength in the beginning. Preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, but uncontrolled as water. So you will have no preeminence because you went up to your father's bed and you defiled it. You went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi, 
are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their counsel. Let not my glory be united with their assembly because in their anger they slew men and because of their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger for it is fierce and the wrath of it for it is cruel and I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. What if that was the last thing your dad said to you? Man. Judah, verse eight, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches and lies, he crouches and lies down as a lion and as a lion who dares, uh, who dares to rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him, Shiloh, be the peace, shall be the obedience of the peoples. He ties his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dull from wine and his teeth white from milk. Zebulun will dwell at the seashore and he shall be a haven for ships and his flank shall, not be, toward, shall be toward Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between the sheepfolds. When he saw that a resting place was good, that all the land was pleasant, he bowed his shoulder to bear the burdens but became a slave at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one judges the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a horned snake in the path that bites the horse's heel so that his rider falls backwards. For your salvation I wait, O Lord. As for Gad, raiders shall raid him and he shall raid at their heels. As for Asher, his food shall be rich and he shall yield royal dainties. Nephtali shall be a doe let loose. His gives beautiful words. Joseph is a fruitful bow. A fruitful bow by a spring, its branches run over a wall. The archers bitterly attacked him and shot at him and harassed him, but his bow remained firm and his arms were agile in the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, from the God of your father who helps you and by the almighty who blesses you with blessings of heaven above, with blessings of the deep that lies beneath, with blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessings of your father have surpassed the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound his everlasting hills. May they only be on the head of Joseph and the crown of the head, the one distinguished among his brothers." Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours his prey. In the evening he divides the spoil. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what their father said to them when he blessed them. He blessed them, every one with the blessing appropriate to him. And he charged them saying, I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. In the cave that is at the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, where Abraham, which Abraham bought along with the field from Ephron the Hittite for a burial site. There they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah. There they buried Isaac and his wife Rebekah. And there I buried Leah in the field and the cave that is with it purchased from the sons of Heth. When Jacob finished charging his sons, he drew his feet into his bed, breathed his last and was gathered to his people. A lot of words from a man that was there at the edge the precipice of death. And what do we do with this? We've got 12 tribes, we've got 12 sons and 12 different statements concerning them all. So let, let's kind of make a synopsis of what, what we kind of go through and then we'll kind of apply it to our hearts a little bit. Reuben started off good. He lost the birthright though. He lost the birthright because Reuben went into his father's concubine. He went and lay with her. He took one of his father's wives as his own. Jacob says, because of that, you were, you were, the words he used, you were an, as uncontrolled as water. You ever try to force water to do something? Tell you what, go home. Here's an experiment for you. Go home, get you, get you like a, a mop bucket. And in that mop bucket, I want you to fill it about halfway full of water. And once you fill it halfway full of water, I want you to put like 25 drops of red food coloring in it. And after you put those 25 drops of red food colored in the water, I want you to go and set it in the middle of your living room carpet. And when you set it in the middle of your living room carpet, I want you to stand above it with a baseball. And I want you to drop the baseball. And I want you to see how uncontrolled the water. Kids, if you do this, 
I promise I will disown you as your pastor because your parents will come after me. So do not. Parents only. This is an adult only activity, okay? See if you can control where the water goes. You, you can't. Just turn the kitchen sink on and you'll see, turn it on four different times in a row. Don't move the faucet, just turn it on. And you'll see that the water splashes and you can't control it. Because of his uncontrolled passion, because he did not put himself under control. The Bible tells us, be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Not, don't be filled with this or that, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and he didn't, so he lost his birthright. Simeon and Levi would be dispersed throughout the land because of their unrequited anger. You remember Simeon and Levi, their sister Tamar, excuse me, their sister Dinah had been raped. That, that, that was the long conversation we had back in May. Me too, sexual abuse. I sat up here at the table. If you didn't see it, it's online. That's what happened. And, and, and Jacob didn't do anything. So they went and they slew an entire city. Shechem was decimated. And, and Jacob was not happy about the decimation. I'm sure he was broken for his daughter. But here he says, because of your anger, your violence, let not my soul enter to their counsel. Because he saw the anger and the violence that just welled up within them. Now, now here's what happens to Simeon and Levi. It says there, um, Verse seven, I will disperse them in Israel, uh, disperse them in Jacob and scatter them throughout Israel. Levi does not in, get an inheritance. Levi does not get any of the land when it's broken up, when they get to Joshua and they take the land, the promised land. Levi doesn't get any. Levi just has to live in different cities all over the tribe of Levi. They're just kind of scattered everywhere. Simeon gets, if you look, go, go to the back of your map, the back of your Bible. You got these nice little color maps that show you where everybody lived. Uh, you won't find Levi on there, but you'll find Simeon right in the middle. It's surrounded by all of Judah. So what happens in, uh, after, after Solomon is king, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom divide and Simeon gets swallowed up by Judah so that you only have the northern, the northern ten tribes and Judah. You never hear about Simeon. It says, I will disperse them through the land. Judah receives the kingship. It says, Judah is, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Notice he says there, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. The line of succession of kings. If you were going to be a king in Israel, you had to come from the line of Judah. Wait a second. I thought Judah was the one that sold his brother. Actually did that plot, that ploy. I thought Judah was the one that was going to stone his daughter-in-law Tamar for adultery when it was his child. We're going to come back to that. But it says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And I want you to notice this pronoun. We, we can get caught up on pronouns and miss some things, but I want you to notice this. And to him shall be, this is verse 10, until Shiloh comes, until to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. That him is not talking about Judah. There within the promise to Judah is the thread of the Messiah, Shiloh. Oh, no, no, not, not, not the town where they set up the tabernacle before the temple was built, not where David would go up to worship. Shiloh, the one to come, the peace, the presence of God, Christ himself from Judah, the lion of Judah. I praise God for this. Zebulun would dwell by the, by the sea and be a haven for ships. He'd be a port city. Issachar would prefer ease and luxury to the hard work and freedom for which he was equipped. It says he was, a, he was a strong donkey, but he was kind of lazy. So he kind of went his way and his laziness got him in trouble. He ended up being an indentured servant, a slave at the hands of others. Dan, although small, it says there about Dan shall judge his people as one judges the Tribes of Israel, Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a horned snake in his path that bites the horse's heel so that the rider falls backwards. That sounds negative, doesn't it? You call somebody a snake in the grass, they're not going to think too highly of what you just called them. But what it says of Dan is that although he would be small, a small tribe, he would help his brothers against oppression. The warriors came from Dan. Gad would be raised, raided by 
marauding bands, continually ransacked. Asher's land would be so fertile. Asher was up on the coast of the Mediterranean. His land would be so fertile, so plentiful, that he would be able to provide for royalty, that he would be able to supply food to the kings and the princes. Naphtali would be a swift messenger with a message of victory. Many of the prophets came from the tribe of Naphtali. Joseph would prosper abundantly. And when he would be fiercely attacked by his enemies, he would be successful because of the hand of God that was on him. But Joseph does not have a land in Israel. No, his two sons did in the promised land, Manasseh and Ephraim, the two that Jacob had just blessed. And then there's Benjamin. It says of Benjamin, it sounds negative, but I promise you it's not. It says, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf or a wolf that tears. In the morning, he devours his prey, and in the evening, he divides the spoil. That sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? A ravenous wolf. It's Jacob's way of saying, Benjamin, son of Rachel, you will prosper. But not only will you prosper, you will be generous and that you will supply for your brothers. And throughout the history of Israel, God used Benjamin to supply for the northern kingdom time and time and time again. So so what do we do? do do What's the point of all this? The point is that God's provision for his people requires faithfulness to the purpose of his promise. God's provision for his people requires us to be faithful to the purpose of his promise. Remember, he said, I am preparing a land for you. This is the promised land. This is where you're going to go. Jacob, don't be afraid to go. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to place you back in this land. It's okay. Okay, Jacob, you're going to bless your sons. But in blessing your sons, you are establishing how they will benefit one another because you're a community together. What was the purpose of God's promise? To demonstrate that he is the almighty, authoritative God that would redeem mankind. For Israel to function and what God's purpose for Israel was to be, was to be that shining star, that diamond that sat there for all the world to see that there is a God in heaven. There is an almighty and everything falls under his hand, under his authority. Because he is a glorious, glorious God. And I'm placing you there in Zion so that the nations will see how wonderful I am. Go and read the prophets sometime. I've been reading through Ezekiel recently. Uh, I love the book of Ezekiel. But every time, even even in proclaiming destruction against foreign lands, it keeps coming back to one simple thing. So that they will know that I am God. The reason there was a promised land, the reason there was a promise of a redeemer is so that the world would know there is a God. And not just a God, but that Yahweh, the Lord, is his name. We worship King Jesus because he was the way, the truth, the life for us to come to the Father, Yahweh, that we would know there's a God. And he says, my promise is to be with you so that I'm putting you in community together so that you can be faithful to what I've promised you because I am your God. So what do we do with all this? Where where do we connect all these things? How how do they fit fit into our life? And we're looking at 12 sons that got something from their dad that, you know, can I, I mean, does anybody, can anybody just right now just rattle off the 12 tribes of Israel? I mean, most of us don't know. I tried this morning. I've been studying this passage for three weeks. I tried this morning to rattle off the 12 tribes of Israel, and I forgot two of them. And the three times I tried, I forgot different ones each time. So it's easy to start thinking, okay, what do these 12 old dudes from the Old Testament have to do with me? What is what Jacob, Israel, said to them as he died, what does that have to do with me? Just a couple of reminders, actually. First is that there is not a time limit for the accounting of sin. There's not a time limit. Maybe another way we can phrase this is your sin will find you out. Mine has. When I've sinned against God, when I've sinned against my family, when I've sinned against the church... It's not like, 
oh, you'll be okay because you preached on Sunday. Oh, you'll, you'll be okay because you did this, this, and this right. It, it's, not, it's not scales and balances. It, it's, it's, it doesn't operate in such a way that you say, okay, as long as there's more on this side than this side, I'll be okay. That's what we call works righteousness. The cross calls us to confront our sin, to cut our sin off, and to move away from it. And, and God's not going to be mocked. He's going to show your sin to someone. It's going to come out, and you will be okay. I know this for a fact because it happens to me. It happens to you. See, Ru- Judah, excuse me, Reuben and Simeon and Levi, they've skated along for 40, 50, 60, 70 years. Dad never said anything about Reuben and what happened with, with, with the concubine. All dad ever said to Simeon and Levi was, look, you made us a stench in front of our new neighbors. But now, decades later, when the rest of the brothers are going to start getting some blessing, here they are. You will not have preeminence. You are no longer entitled to the right of the firstborn. You don't even get a land, Simeon and Levi. I'm going to, I'm going to surround you with everybody else and disperse you throughout Israel. I don't know what your sin is. You, you don't know what mine is. But I'm telling me and I'm telling you, the gospel calls us, Christ Jesus calls us to confess our sin one to another, confess our sin to God, to make it right in the heart, to make it right with one another, and to live in abjection to sin. That means putting sin over there and we live over here. You're not going to lose your salvation, but you will lose that proximal fellowship with God. You're going to feel, man, something's not right. Something's not doing good. Something's missing. It's going to affect your relationships around you. Man, you can try to mask it. Trust me, I've done it, and I'm not trying to justify it. I'm not proud of it. I'm telling you what's real. And it's going to come up. And what would have been probably a simple fix now becomes something catastrophic. Maybe you can think of it in terms of an oak tree. We've got this oak tree in the front corner of our yard that I despise. I'm not a tree hugger. No excuse, no surprise there. There's nothing really wrong with the tree. Except when they were clearing the lot to build our house... They cleared a lot of things and pushed around up. And so this tree sits up on this odd little bump that's not really good connection between my yard and my neighbor's yard. And on the side towards our house, it's a steep slope. So you put pine straw out there because it's on a pine bed. But the first time it rains, it washes the pine straw. It is a, Christy will tell you, I, I do not like this tree. If it wasn't for the fact that we've got to ask some group in our neighborhood for permission to cut it down and then pay somebody to do it, I would have it cut down. I'd put another tree there, a better tree, a tree that makes sense, that's smooth through there. Well, here's the thing about this tree that I also hate. It's what you'd call a living oak tree. Now, if you know anything about living oak trees, they have these little bitty leaves about that big. Oh. They get down, you can't rake them out. You can't leaf blow them out. They get stuck down in there. And you just got to, oh. I'm envious of my neighbor, Melvin. He's got, he calls them junk trees, but they're, they're, they're gumball trees, sweet gum trees. Man, the leaves on that thing are huge. I mean, they're like the size of an elephant ear compared to mine. And I get jealous of him in the fall. Not because it takes him a whole lot longer to do his yard work because, I man, he comes out with bags and bags and bags of leaves. But when he's done, all of his leaves are gone. Mine are not. But the thing with oak trees is these little bitty acorns fall off of them. And they get bedded down in the grass as well. And, and, and so they're there and I got the grass and I got these leaves that I don't like. And here just a few weeks ago, I started noticing what I thought were weeds growing. What weeds? They were little oak trees growing in my yard. 
Now, here's the thing about those little bitty oak trees that relates to your sin and to my sin. Those little oak trees were not a problem. I spent about 30 minutes one day. I let the kid, the kids were playing in the driveway, not in the street, in the driveway, doing chalk, riding their bike. And I just went out there and I just, that man plucked them right out. There was like one or two where like a little clump of dirt and it kind of uprooted some grass. And we've got Bermuda grass, it'll fill back in. Man, it was great. Got them all up, got them out of there, no problem. But if I just said, you know what? I'll mow over it and mask it. If I mowed over, all that's going to happen is the roots are going to start to grow and develop more. And the more the roots grow, the more damage that's caused when that scent, when that tree is plucked up. See, if, if I were to take the, the big tree, the one that I don't like, the one I want to get rid of, if I were to take, try to take it out, one of the reasons I don't want to get rid of it is because the roots go so far down under all of my yard, it's going to destroy my entire yard to get rid of that tree. And sin creeps into our lives and if we would just take time to pluck it out when it is a small little acorn that has a shoot growing out of it that might hurt for just a moment rather than wait for the infection to spread through all of our lives and uproot and break everything. And I want you to know I'm preaching to myself as much as I am to anyone in this room. Because the scripture makes it abundantly clear that every one of us needs the reminder and every one of us are susceptible. And I will confess to you that there have been times in my life where I have not taken the time to address the sin when it was little and it creates such hardship. There's not a time limit for the accounting of sin. But why does God turn to Judah? Why does Jacob turn to Judah, the one who, who deceived his, his daughter-in-law and then went into her as a prostitute and, and had a child who was going to stone? Why does he give her a pass? Why does, why, does God, why does he get a pass? Why do you get to be the kingship because of this? Because God's favor rests on those who demonstrate a repentant heart. God's favor rests rests on those who demonstrate a repentant heart. When Judah was confronted with his sin, when Tamar came forward and said, you want to know whose baby it is that I'm pregnant with? It's whoever owns this cord and this staff. That's whose it is. And there it's laying before him, this is yours, this is your mistake, this is your sin. You remember his words? This is on me because she has acted with greater righteousness than I have. There was a symbol of a repentant heart that went through Judah. And through Judah was going to come the one that would be able to heal all of our hearts so that all of us could turn to repent. Too often we want the favor of God without the way of God. We want the blessing of God without the repentant heart that God requires. I heard a speaker, uh, on, uh, every now and again I get a chance to listen to Ravi Zacharias' radio broadcast. I heard one of his guys this week that was speaking, um, some college somewhere, um, just, I heard it this week on the radio. And the thing that he, that he said that just stuck in my heart, and I said, God, I'm guilty of that. I am guilty of that. Is that the problem with American Christianity as it's proclaimed today is we focus so much on what Jesus did and not enough on what Jesus said. Even in our creeds, we go straight from, I believe in God the Father, one holy church. I believe in Christ, born of a virgin, crucified, buried, and dead. And we skip from the virgin birth to the burial, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. And that is true. Christ Jesus did come to redeem us. But if we just skip from the birth to the resurrection, we cut out 86% of the gospels. Where Jesus said, no, 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 if you want to be my follower, if you're going to live in light of this resurrection, this is what it means. This is who you are to be. And here's Judah. Repentant heart. And through his line comes the Messiah. The third we see is a call to action for all of us. I want you to notice with me that each one of the 12 tribes of Israel were given a different responsibility. <coughs> they weren't all given the big name. If I were to quiz this entire congregation this morning, I would imagine that you would know the names of the tribes of Joseph 
and Judah and maybe one or two others, just in general. Some of you might be able to do all of them. Some of you might be able to do eight, nine, 10, 12. But in general, we'd probably be able to know Judah because we've heard line of the tribe of Judah. We know Joseph because we've been talking about Joseph and that might be where we draw the line. And that comes to us in a church because you might not know everybody's name, but this is what this shows us. That as a covenant community, our future together calls each of us to adhere to God's purpose and his promise to be with us. It's on the screen. I want you to read it it out loud with me, okay? Because this is kind of a confession time for all of us, right? As a covenant community, our future together calls each of us to adhere to God's purposes and his promise to be with us. Translation. Just because we have a staff, just because we have Sunday school teachers, just because we have deacons doesn't mean that it gets done. All of us together have gifts. And you might think, man, I'm little, I can't do anything. Look what it says. Hey, you know what? Um, Dan, you're going to be small, but you're going to be one of the great ones that comes alongside and and helps your brothers. Uh, Time and time again, that's who he was. Uh, uh, to, to, to Zebulun, you're, you're going to be, you're, nobody's going to remember your name, Zebulun, but you're going to dwell by the sea and be a haven for ships, for port, for, for there are different streams that God's going to use in all of our lives. And as a church, we're a covenant community. We are a community bound by the covenant of grace that God has worked in our lives as we have transformed, been transformed from death to life, from, from darkness to light, transformed by his image. And so what that means is each one of us has a responsibility within the covenant community. He said, man, I can't do everything. Y'all don't want you to do everything. We don't need you to do everything. Get you to do something. Hey, here's a cool opportunity. Maybe this week, and, and I don't know all the details, and this isn't because I'm not a big detail person. I don't, I don't know all the details because I just got the email this morning during Sunday school and I read it before I came in here. I got an email from Leah McDaniel. She is the principal at Campbell Elementary School right here. Our, our, we're, we, we, we have a great partnership with, with Campbell through our food pantry, through some things that, that Jenny and some others have been able to work out. So, so I emailed her last week just to say, hey, we're praying for you. What are some things that we could do to help as school gets started? She said, hey, sorry to email you on Sunday morning, but here's something. We've got open house coming up um, on Thursday, and there's been some construction going on around, around uh, Campbell Elementary School. Do you got some people this week that can maybe come and plant some flowers so that when families show up, we'll, we'll have, because of the construction, we'll have some, some flower beds worked out? Maybe, maybe Wednesday you could meet me, and, and we could go and serve. That, may, may, maybe you can't do everything. Maybe you can't teach a Sunday school class. Maybe you can't sing in the choir, but you could dig a hole. And put a flower in it. It <laughs> Sign her up. There we go. As a covenant community, it requires each one of us to do what God has called us to do together. Our future rests on it. Israel's future rested on the 12 tribes functioning together. Their downfall was division. Division created by greed and idolatry. Division caused by not repenting of sin when it was exposed to them. May that not be true of us.